So we're continuing today in the book of Acts, and we're in the second chapter this morning, verses 41 to 47. So if you have your Bibles and want to open them to those uh, passages, we'll read it in in just a minute. You know, uh, I couldn't help but just really open up in praise this morning in that second song, the Holy Spirit happens to be a song that I know and I'm familiar with singing, and maybe some of you too. But it just reminded me how we need to remind ourselves that it is the Holy Spirit's presence in a church that makes a church alive. We can have correct doctrine, we can have nice songs and nice leadership in all the places, but unless the Holy Spirit is working and active in the life of a church, and that's basically through the lives of her people, which is the church, uh, then the church would be dead, right? And uh, for years and years, I've been a part of early service, so to speak, And uh, I don't know, uh, some people like to come early because it's early and gives you a chance to have more time the rest of the day. Uh, Some people come perhaps to this service because you like this style of music. But whatever you're here for, I hope that you are open to the Holy Spirit working in your life. Now, I'm not preaching about the Holy Spirit today, but just, just to let you know, He is the one who makes everything go. So pray with me, if you will, and let's ask God... As I say it out loud, I hope you'll say it in your hearts to the Lord. Our Father, we do desire for your Holy Spirit to speak to us and move in us. Lord, move our wills, uh, work in our minds, flood our emotions with the sense of your presence and the sense of what you're saying to us, what your commands are to us individually. This is our prayer as we come to worship you today. So we pray this, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, if you'll get your Bibles open or you can see it on the, sc- on the screen, uh, and I'll read it aloud for us and you follow along with me. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Amen. The Word of God. It wouldn't be unusual for someone to ask, and and I think some of you may have even asked this question, what do we have to do to start seeing our church come alive with people being saved on a regular basis and with things really becoming sharp and picking up and and just a church on fire for the Lord? What do we have to do to see those things happen? I think that's a common question. I think people are asking that question here at Highland Park. But let me tell you this, that's the wrong question. Not a bad question, it's just a wrong question. Let me suggest another question that we ought to ask that I believe would give us a better result and would really get to the heart of things. Instead of asking what should we do, what do we need to do? We need to ask this question. What do we need to 
be as a church for God to use us? What do we need to be? What should the actual Holy Spirit presence in this church do in us and through us that would allow us to be a church that God will use? It's not necessarily about programming. It's really not about personnel. I mean, hopefully the Lord will lead us to the very right person to lead the church on a long-term basis as the next senior pastor, next youth minister, whatever that may be. Those are, are good things. But the most important thing is not those external things, as important as they are in their own place. It is who are we as the people of God? Who do, who do we need to be to do that? And one of the things we see in this passage so clearly is what the church was. Who were these people? How did they live? What was the character of their lives? Now, Rick Warren said this in uh, different ways, and I've heard him say it personally. He says, a healthy church will be a growing church. And if a church isn't growing, it either means there are no more people to be reached in their community or something is unhealthy about the church. So what does it take to have a healthy church? That's what we're looking at this morning. What does a real church look like? What does a healthy church look like? What does a church need to be to be a successful church? Now, I want you to go back to your Bibles and uh, look at verse 42 for a moment. And there's a word in that verse I want you to underline or to circle. And it's the word devoted. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This isn't in your notes. This is extra. This is lanyap, as they say in New Orleans. This is extra. What does it mean to be devoted? Let me give you a definition of what it means to be devoted. It means to continue in faithful adherence. To continue in faithful adherence. Or it could be defined as persisting in obst obstinately. Persisting obstinately in something. Now what I find to be true in many churches, and I say this in many because I've, I've been in many, uh, as a guest, I've also been the pastor of a few churches, is that we don't have too many people who are devoted to the right things. Somebody said it the other day, and I don't know who said it. You may have said it, and, I, and I'm sorry if I haven't given you credit for it, but it's true, I think, that in the Baptist church, more people show up at the church business meeting when there's a conflict than people who show up when everything's okay. Anybody know that to be true? Yeah, we know that to be true, don't we? I remember in the Charleston Baptist Association, years ago when I was pastor at this church, uh, we, had a, uh, we had a situation that just wouldn't end. There was a conflict with somebody, I, I can't mention the name right now, I don't want to slander anybody, but this one particular person would always come to the associational meeting loaded for bear. And he always had something negative to say and some acts he was grinding. And I tell you what, those were the biggest attended association meetings. I'm not talking about the annual meeting. I'm talking about the, the executive board meetings. We used to have them every quarter. We went to bi-monthly. And when that brother got going, we started having them every month. That's right. It seemed like he was devoted to controversy. What are you devoted to? I think there are a lot of people who are devoted to their own comfort. We want to find a church where we're comfortable. If you took everybody that slept in church and laid them end to end, 
they'd be more comfortable, wouldn't they? And I've been known to tell people, if you're looking for a comfortable church, you shouldn't join this one. We don't want you to be comfortable. We want you to be active in the Lord's service. And sometimes that's discomfort when you're really serving God. Sometimes it costs more than people are willing to pay. And that's why we don't have folks show up for some things, because they don't want to pay the price of leaving their easy chair and knowing they have to go to work tomorrow to be at another church meeting. Besides, they may say, what do we get out of that? Listen, church is not about giving you something. It's about you giving something to God. And when you attend a worship service, or you attend a prayer meeting, or you attend a business meeting, or you are active in your church because this is the right thing to do, and you want to do it to be pleasing and devoted to God, God will bless you. But it's about the attitude. Now, that's introductory. That's not anything I've charged for today. That's taken off the bill. What does a real church look like? Let me give you four things that are right in our scripture text that these people were continually faithful in adhering to, in their life. The first one is the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now, this basically was the material about Jesus' life and ministry. The apostles taught about Jesus. The apostles taught how Jesus was interpreted in the Old Testament. You see, the Jewish people looked toward a Messiah. They just didn't realize that Jesus was the Messiah. Some of them did, of course, and those are the ones who became saved. And so the apostles taught about the life and ministry of Jesus, but they would go all the way back in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. They'd go all the way back to Genesis, come all the way through the writings and all the way through the prophets. And in every place, they would show how Jesus was foretold, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the types and the images of the Old Testament. Are you devoted to the Bible? Are you devoted to Scripture? Do you read it? Do you study it? Do you want to hear it taught? Do you want to hear it preached? Are you a part of a Bible study group, such as a Sunday school class, where it's the Bible that's the subject? Number two, they were devoted to the fellowship. Let me give you a real simple way to define the word fellowship. Fellowship basically is two people in a boat together, right? Fellowship. That's supposed to be funny, but maybe it's not too funny. You know what fellowship is. It's when we have cookies and Kool-Aid at the CLC in the church. That's what fellowship is. Not really. Fellowship is a sense of togetherness with people who share the same goals, who are attracted to the same God, and who are willing to be devoted to the fellowship. They spent time together. There was much more than just being in the same place at the same time. There was a sense of caring and loving each other. And it's kind of close to a word we'll see in just a little bit. But fellowship is not just in the church building. In fact, in the early church, they didn't have a building. They used a building. They used the temple complex And they met together, the Bible says, under Solomon's colonnade, which is like a big walkway all the way around the temple complex, and it was a covered walkway, and they could find protection from the sun or the other elements, and apparently it was a pretty big place because there were at least 3,000 of them on this first excursion. They were devoted to that fellowship. Number three, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, what does this mean? Some people think, well, this means uh, sharing food. I don't think that's what it means here. I think what this means is the Lord's Supper. And apparently, every time they met, 
they had the Lord's Supper. And that's why in uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church and probably other mainline churches especially, you'll find the Lord's Supper as a prominent feature of every worship service. Now, let me back up a little bit. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. However, I think in some cases, most notably in the Roman Catholic tradition, they have falsely emphasized something in the Lord's Supper that the Bible does not support. And we can talk about that at another time. But what does it mean that they were devoted to the breaking of bread? Well, here's what the breaking of bread is all about. It is, first of all, a reminder that Jesus died for our sins and that he promised to come again. It is at least that. Secondly, it is a remembrance of the cost that Jesus paid to bring our salvation. Thirdly, it is a gospel witness to all who are unsaved. As they see people taking this bit of bread and, and drinking this little drink of grape juice or wine, as, as it was in the early church and up until about 120 years ago, uh, people would say, this is the body and the blood of Jesus. But what, what are you talking about? Are you guys cannibals eating flesh and drinking blood? No, no. Here's what we mean by that. And so it was a point of witness. It was a point of, prepare, of sharing the gospel message. And so they were committed to it. I know as a pastor sometimes I feel guilty because I know I've, I've not always emphasized the Lord's Supper as I think it should be emphasized. And sometimes in church we do it in such a way that it's something we tack on. You know, we tack it on at the end or we put it somewhere in the middle to kind of get rid of it. And we hope it doesn't take too long so we preachers who are long-winded can just simply have our time and preach our message. But are we committed, devoted to the meaning, the purpose of the Lord's Supper? And then the fourth thing we see in this text is they were committed to prayer. The least attended, in terms of numbers, service in the church is usually the prayer service. The least attended service that should have the most power. And it's because prayer is not as important to many believers as it should be. Especially corporate prayer. I remember growing up in the church, and we'd go to Wednesday night service, and the pastor would have a season of prayers, he called it, and I like that, and he just invited anybody who wanted to to stand up and pray. And then when everybody had prayed who wanted to, then he would close in prayer, and that would be the season of prayer. Well, I remember as a little kid, I began to recognize the voices of the people who were praying, and I remembered that this brother prayed the same prayer last week that he prays tonight. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying the same prayer, but it made me think as a kid, is that the only thing he knows how to pray about? You know, it's kind of like in families where we have the Lord's, uh, where we have prayer before the meal. Uh, sometimes we tend to say the same things. I remember when my two sisters and I were little, our dad would ask one of us to have the prayer before the meal, and uh, we'd all pray the very same words. And it was quick and short, and we got into the grub. You know, rub-a-dub-dub, fill the tub, amen, you know, kind of thing. But what we see here was that these people had a prayer meeting every day at 3 o'clock, and people showed up. I'm not sure that everybody came every day, but most of them did, probably. I'm just reading into the text what's there. So you've got to ask yourself these questions. Am I devoted to the, the apostles' teaching? Am I devoted to the Word of God? To really have an adherence, a faithful adherence to God's Word, that it, be taught, read, 
Let it be preached. Am I faithfully adhering to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper? Am I faithfully devoted to prayer? And I know you can pray at home, you can pray in your car, you can pray in your office. You don't have to be in a church building to pray, and I agree. But there's something more powerful when people come together to pray, whether it's in twos or threes or fifties or 150s. And even though not everybody prays out loud, everybody can pray in their heart and their spirit to the Lord. Remember now, we're talking about what a church should be. And what they should be is like this church, they were devoted to these things. It wasn't they were trying to prove something. They didn't keep records as to how many showed up. And, you know, we Baptists are big on that. We always like to count nickels and noses. How many people did we have? How much money did we bring in? If the numbers are up and the nickels are up, we're okay. That's not really what it's about, is it? What are we devoted to? Let's look at the next thing. If you're following along in your outline... What's the program of the real church? Now, there's a word in the text that I also want you to underline, and it's in uh, verse 43. In the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says, fear. If that's your translation, circle that word or underline it. If you have a different translation, it probably will say awe, A-W-E. It means about the same thing. In other words, they were greatly impressed and fearful because God was at work. Now, to be honest, have you seen God at work in this church lately? I mean, surely there are good things happening and and people from time to time get saved, had some salvations at Bible school, is that right? And a few Sundays ago, when I was preaching here, we had a young lady who came professed faith in Christ. Apparently, someone had been sharing the gospel with her and been witnessing to her. But can you actually say that people around here at Highland Park are in awe? They're, they're oh, wow. Isn't that, well, look at what God is doing in this church. And it's not an awe of putting, patting ourselves on the back. We, we did some really good things, and we're so happy now that what we've done has paid off. You know, it's not about patting yourself on the back. It is such a sense of awe that we're fearful that we'll break the spell and it'll stop. Have you ever had a situation like that? Not many people have in the modern church. Because though we see some great things happening in the church world around the world, we're not seeing a lot of that happen here in the United States. Oh, there are some churches where there is an awe, there's a sense of fear, there's a, a sense that God is really doing something. But most of the things that I hear about, read about, find out about where God has really got his hand is in other countries, especially in places like China. Did you know there are more born-again people in China than there are in the United States? Did you know that? That's true. There are more believers in China than in the U.S. Did you know there are more people being saved today, each day, in Latin America than there is in the United States. God's done a powerful work among Latin Americans. Now, it's not all good. I mean, there are some bad things too, but God has got his hand in some places. What do we need to be? Who do we need to be to hope and pray and expect that God's going to work like that in our midst? You know, most people go home from church with the idea, boy, that's over with. Now let's get back and and relax and really live our lives. Let's let's just do what we want to do. 
Church is an obligation. Worship is a time where you feel obligated to attend because, hey, you're a member, right? Giving of money to the church is sort of like an obligation. Some people feel it's not a privilege, it's not a joy. It's not like contributing money to a 401k or putting money aside in a savings account that one day you hope to enjoy. It's not like that at all. Well, I just feel like I have to give something because I'm the member and and somebody's got to pay the bills. And and we're so glad we can get rid of that obligation. Now we have some money to spend on ourselves and things we want to do. Is there any wonder why we don't have much awe in the church? Do we really need God around here or not? Is anything that happens in this church that we depend on God for? I think there are some folks who, if God left the church, they wouldn't notice the difference. It's about the form, you know. It's it's about what I like. It's about my comfort zone. It's about what I want to see happen. Instead of what do we want to, uh, what does God want to happen? Next thing we see about this real church is they lived a sacrificial life. Notice what it says in our text, that they sold property and gave the money to those who had needs. Now, not everybody did that. We learn that it's their decision. We see uh, in a a little bit in the book of Acts, we'll see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, they sold a piece of property and got X number of dollars for it. They brought some of the money to the church and led them to believe that this is all the money we got for the property, and actually they had kept back a big portion of themselves. Now, what was the sin? Lying to the Holy Spirit. The sin was not how much they gave or how much they kept. Land was theirs, Peter said, you do with it what you want to do with it. But if you sell it and say you've got the whole price and you're bringing it here, when actually you're only bringing half the price, that's a lie. So what happened was, as the Spirit of God moved in people's hearts, they did sacrificial things. They took things that normally were intended for their own use and their own value, and they sacrificed by giving it away, selling it, whatever, and letting the the results be used for God's work. Now, I don't know most of you very well. I know some of you better than others. But I wonder, have you ever made a sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God through your local church. Have you ever made a sacrifice? You know, if a person has $10 and they give $5, that's a sacrifice. If a person has $100 and he gives $5, that's a tip. That's not a sacrifice. That's why in many of the stewardship campaigns that we have in churches, they have this little phrase, not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. What's a sacrifice for you may be pocket change for somebody else. So it's not about the amount of giving. It's about the attitude of giving. And the attitude is this, Lord, all I have is yours. Take what you want. Tell me what you want me to do with it. I'll give it. I'll, I'll sell it. I'll keep it. I'll invest. Whatever you want me to do, Lord. And for those of us in America who have well above the world's living standards, you know, We have to be cautious about how we spend our money. Are we using God's money to build our kingdom on earth? How can I justify living in luxury, and I'm a Christian, and I'm part of a church, and me living in luxury means I can't sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom? I'm not saying luxury is bad. I'm simply saying be careful 
how you decide what to do with God's money. All of it's God's, right? All of it. None of it belongs to you. None of it belongs to me. What are you doing with what God has given you? Is there a sacrifice involved? So here's the plan for that church. They lived in all. They had sacrifice. Third thing is they were devoted. Notice this. They were devoted to the meetings, the church meetings. They were self-motivated to meet. Now, for some people, if you have a controversy coming up at the church business conference, that motivates them to attend. Why would that be? I used to say about the Charleston Baptist Association that all we have to do to have a good fight is to announce at one meeting that you're going to vote on doubling the director of missions' salary at the next meeting. And that would turn up a crowd. Now, that'd be like the church saying, okay, at the next month's business meeting, we're going to propose that we double the preacher's salary. And people would show up for that meeting. That'd be a controversy. What does it take to motivate people to be so devoted to the meetings of the church that they will do anything that they possibly can to make sure they don't miss a meeting of the church? I know what it was like in the first church. They had miracles. And you didn't want to miss Jesus when he came through a town because, hey, he might be healing somebody today. Or for some, better yet, oh, he might be distributing food today like he did before. You know, at least twice we know Jesus fed 5,000. At least once he fed 4,000 with just a few little things. Jesus might be ready to feed the crowd today. I've got to go see Jesus. We might get something out of this. Now, that might be a totally human perception, but what would it be like for a Christian who was so devoted to God's work in the local church, a person who lived in awe or fear because God was at work, I don't want to miss seeing who's going to get saved today. I don't want to miss what God is going to do in the crowd today when the Holy Spirit speaks through the songs or the Holy Spirit comes and works through the sermon. I don't want to miss what message God has for me, what change God wants to work in my life. I don't want to be a a part of a small crowd outside fussing about what's inside. I want to be a part of those who are on the inside receiving God's blessing. That was it. Their plan was to be there when the church met. And I'm sure not everybody could be present at every meeting. But when they couldn't be present, they really regretted it and missed it. Again, I remember as a teenager when I didn't want to go to church very much. And there was a time when I really didn't want to hear the preacher's sermon, so I would pretend that I had a headache and ask my dad if I could stay in the car while the worship service was going on. I went to Sunday school. Our teacher always had something for us, like a piece of candy or something. So I went to Sunday. Then after that, oh, my head hurts, Dad. Can I stay in the car? You know, because I found the worship service to be quite boring. By the way, I think it ought to be a sin to preach a dull sermon, don't you? That's one of the reasons I move around, so at least something's moving. Something's happening in the service. Also, it's harder to hit a moving target, right? Some of you might have brought tomatoes. I don't know. They were devoted to the church meetings. Number four, they lived in community with each other. This is similar to what it means to be in fellowship. They, they were devoted to the fellowship. Community is when people feel and believe that they're family. 
when the church is a family. And you know, families are strange sometimes. Families have a way of changing over time. Families have a way of hurting each other. But also families have a way of healing and helping each other. The church family is always under attack by the, by the enemy, Satan. The church family is always in danger for the least spiritual member to raise a fuss that's out of order or to make accusations that are unfounded or to make complaints. You know, I'm so glad that one of the spiritual gifts is not criticism because every Christian I know who has a a sore to pick would claim, that's my gift. I'm the critic. God's given me the gift of criticism. So I get around, go around judging everybody and judging everything. Some people act like that's their gift. That can happen in a family, though it shouldn't. But that's what community is all about. Have you ever been part of a community? Sometimes you have such a community in your Sunday school class or your small group. Sometimes you have such a community in, in a group of uh, men or women who meet for prayer, have a discipleship thing going on. Wouldn't it be awesome if the church was a community of brothers and sisters, regardless of your status in life, regardless of your age in life, regardless of your color, your education, regardless of your preferred style of worship, regardless of whether you would rather sit in a pew or sit in a chair that's nicely padded, of course, that's community. You want to be a part of that group without preference for your own desires. You just want to be a part of the group. And whatever it takes, you want to be there. And number five, they had favor with the people. Now, what does it mean? Does it mean that all the people liked them and that there was no persecution? Not at all. This doesn't mean that everybody liked the Christians. It doesn't mean that everybody respected the church. There was certainly persecution that went on, especially from the Jewish leaders and also from the Roman government. But to be in favor meant that the people outside the church so looked on the inside and recognized this is something different and special. This is a unique group of people. They respected them because they were honest, even to a fault. They respected them because they saw the change in their lives. They respected them because they knew that this group of people who were called the way and later came to be known as Christians, these people had such a change in their life. They're not what they used to be, and they're different from us. They have something. They love each other. They're, they're a fellowship. They're a community, and we respect that because people want that. Some of you are old enough to remember a television program called Cheers. Anybody remember Cheers? Cheers was about a bar that met, uh, people met in. And they, of course, they drank their booze. I'm not trying to promote that, of course. But the idea behind Cheers was that people who attended, uh, who, I say attended, people who went there on a regular basis, you, you remember some of the characters who were there, and it was the same crowd each week on the TV program. What they had was community. And during that time when this was a popular television program, it tapped a need in society, in our culture. People need to belong somewhere. And even the title song of that TV program gave its essence. You want to go to a place where everybody knows your name. You want to go to a place where everybody treats you just the same. 
They were describing community. And in that day and time, the culture was so busy with making a living. The culture was so busy with sometimes the Cold War. Of course, this is uh, during the time of the ending of the Cold War. But it captured something of the awe that people had, the respect that people had for the church. Except in this case, it was transformed to a bar. And you know what I find today? There are a lot of young adults whose favorite meeting place with one another is a bar. It's amazing to me how many couples for whom I've conducted a wedding, I'll say to them in the first meeting, I say, where did y'all meet? It's amazing how many I've met in a bar. They don't have a community other than that that they feel at home in. They feel alienated somehow by the church, those who had any kind of a church background. And so the church, I believe, needs to become something that it's not. And then notice the last thing here in the sermon notes, the mark of a real church, the Lord added to their number daily. Now, let me give you an illustration of what I think this is about. Let's just imagine that you were in charge of an adoption agency. And for whatever reason, these moms could not raise their child, and they decided to give them up for adoption. Let's, let's not argue the merits of that. Let's just say this is what you did. And, and that happens. I mean, I know several couples who have adopted children, and uh, unfortunately, for whatever reason, the birth mother could not or would not raise the child, and so the adoption agency would match up a child with prospective parents. And what do they do? They make home visits, don't they? Do you have a place in your house for this baby? Uh, do you get along? They do all kinds of interviews. In fact, uh, a couple I know just recently uh, adopted their third child. They adopted the first one, and, and then uh, after a couple of years, they put in for another adoption, and lo and behold, they got twins <laughs> who were born prematurely and needed special care. And let me tell you, the adoption agency was all over that couple determining whether they would be a suitable family for this set of twins to be raised in. If you were God, and you were going to let new Christians, baby Christians, be born in a church, you think you might scope it out first to see if it was a suitable place to let your baby be born and grow up and have nurture? What do you think? It may be that because the church isn't what it ought to be, and it's not because of not doing the right things, it's because we're not being the right thing. And it just may be that God is withholding some of his spiritual babies because we don't have a good spiritual nursery. Too much complaining, too much bitterness, too much grudge holding, whatever it may be, something's wrong. You can either be a, a person who helps correct the problem or someone who helps, helps continue the problem. Here's the conclusion. Winning the lost is more about being than doing. It's more about who we are than what we do. And so my final word to you is, could it be? Could it be something in your life that is preventing this church from being what it needs to be? Some attitude 
some lack of devotion, some failure in some way. I really was encouraged when uh, we sang a moment ago about the Holy Spirit. Could we do that song again? Yeah. Uh, praise team, why don't you all come on up, if you will. And, uh, and let's sing that song again. Now, I don't know if you know the words to that song. I know them because I've sung the song many times before. But could it be that you can sing that song with the team as a prayer to God? Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Come fill this place with your presence. And that means that you're giving God the opportunity to mold you and shape you and make you as he sees fit, whatever that means in your life. Let's stand as we sing it together and let that be our response to God this morning.